All right, back here at J. Tom Lawler Rink. The score after two is Canisius 1. Merrimack nothing. Merry Christmas, everyone. I'm Mike McNey with John Leahy. This second intermission is brought to you by the Merrimack Graduate School. At Merrimack, you can earn your master's degree in just one year. Merrimack offers graduate programs in business, science and engineering, and education and social policy. Log on to merrimack.edu backslash graduate today for all the details. Mike McMahon joins us here from the Mac Report, the Eagle Tribune, and Call of Talking News. And well, Mike, it kind of seems like same old, same old here in the last game before the break for Merrimack, right? Three, three, and three in home games coming into tonight, and on the verge of possibly winning only three of their first ten home games of the season if they were to not come back and at least tie this one. Uh, I don't think anybody could have foreseen this this coming at the start of the season because they have been so successful at home. But with a team that's only got three wins in nine games coming into today at home and only one loss on the road and that coming against the national champions, the defending national champions in Providence. What's going on here? Uh, you, you know, it's one of those things where if this team is as good as they appear to be at the beginning of the year, these types of games, especially at home, are games you have to win. It's not games you, you can, oh, maybe you can lose one of them. Like, no, these are pretty much games you have to win. These are games that if you're, if you're thinking of yourself as a top 15 or 20 team nationally, look at the other teams that are in that category. UMass, Lowell, the Boston College, it's just your own league. The Providences, the BUs, they win these games at home. I mean, they just do. So, uh, yeah, the, the ties, I think, throw the, the overall record off a little bit when you look at the back. They've got three wins in nine games. They, they, they've got some time, ties in there, too. I mean, they've also only lost three times in nine. They're, they're, they get so many ties, it throws their overall record a little out of whack. But, uh, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, these types of games against a team that uh, has struggled. I mean, look, Canisius has struggled. You look at all the, the rankings that uh, mathematically rank these teams. You're talking about a team that's one of the bottom five teams in the country. You have them at home. This is a game you have to win. It's all about goal scoring, right? I mean, realistically, you know, the penalty kill, although it's, it's tailed off a little bit lately, it's, it's generally done what they've needed to be able to have a chance to win games. It's been more so the fact that the, the power play is, uh, it's only got one goal at home all year. It's only got four goals overall all season and, and is clicking at, at a single percentage rate, a single percentage point rate uh, down near the bottom of the league. The power play has been, been a big issue and goal scoring lately especially has been a big issue. But, uh, you know, again, was, was I don't think especially after the first weekend of the season, Clarkson and St. Lawrence, that, that we saw this coming. Uh, uh, they need other guys to step up and score goals. Yeah, and I think it's all connected. I mean, you look at their struggles in the power play. They haven't had many power play chances either, and part of that is because they just don't think they're getting the areas to, to actually draw penalties. So, uh, not only are they not scoring goals because they're not getting to maybe the, that, those dirty areas of the ice that coaches talk about. Really, it's the net front area. Uh, but they're not scoring goals because they're not getting to there enough. I don't think they're drawing penalties because they're not getting to there enough. I, I think a lot of the offensive issues are, are interconnected. Uh, and, and I think if you if you are able to draw more penalties by just being stronger on the puck a little bit, uh, it's also obviously going to open you up to maybe score some more goals and even strength as well. Drew Vogler gets to start tonight in goal. His first start, Colin Delia not even on the bench here. He gets the night off effectively. Uh, anything to read into that and, and your thoughts on Vogler's play so far? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, I, I don't think that, that Delia is hurt. Um, that'll be a question we ask after the game for sure. Like I said, where it's, it's a little strange that he's on the bench. Uh, but you know, at the end of the day, too, I, I figured they might try to get Vogler a start in here in one of these games. They get so many non conference games coming up. And if you're going to pick one, uh, I, I think this is the day to do it. Having the having home. You know, it's easier to probably get about first start at home than it is in the road, but uh, you know, if it's a health issue, then it's a health issue, and they didn't have a choice, but if they were to give him a start, whether you pick this uh, this game here a couple weeks against the Army, then you're into a tournament, you probably want to 
Bailey are in that net for those ones, and Cornell's a really good team, and those games are on the road. This game seems to be the one that makes sense if you were going to try to get Volgor start somewhere in the stretch. Do you remember about six years ago when, when they were off to a great start, and especially at home, and, and they hit that stretch in the middle of the season, seven straight road games, and including the tournament in Wisconsin, they dropped all seven games and suddenly you know kind of fell out of the picture there. Well, well, they've got seven straight road games coming up here, but they've only lost one at home. Are we about to see the opposite here? What, what if they go on the road and they win all seven? <laughs> that, that would certainly provide a boost, yeah. I, I, I think this, this stretch coming up, and it sort of started with that UConn game, uh, or even the Providence series, because that was a home-and-home. Home. Uh, this is a tough stretch coming up, especially after today. I mean, you've got the, the, the game on the road at Army. Not a real tough team in terms of record. You look at their record, but I mean, neither is Canisius, and they're having a hard time with them today. Uh, but at Army, at the Dartmouth tournament for two games, at, at Cornell, who's playing really well for two games, at Notre Dame, who's playing really well. I mean, this is, this is a brutal stretch, and the schedule gets a little lighter after that. I mean, their, their league schedule isn't too bad after that Notre Dame series. I know they got a home-and-home home with PC that's going to be tough. One on the road at BU, that's going to be tough, but uh, they'll have opportunity, I think, for points middle of January on when you look at Vermont twice here. Even Maine, they're on the road, but that's a team that struggled. Uh, they still got UConn one more time here, so they'll have an opportunity for some points in league, but these next seven games, I think, are going to tell us a lot about where they stand. I mean, we talked about, are they as good as they were? Are they as good as we thought they were at the beginning of the year? To, to, for them to be, I think this is a game like today that you, you have to win, and, and we're going to find out a lot, I think, over these next seven games on the road. Yeah, these non-league games certainly, as we've said before, have an awful lot, you know, big impact in terms of pair-wise, you know, if they are in that position at the end of the season. But let's talk quickly about uh, what's going on, I guess, you know, outside of Merrimack, uh, college hockey. A.J. Greer from, uh, from Boston University leaves them. Uh, didn't have a lot of points this year or in his career. You know, a, a younger player, certainly no question about it, but a guy who I think was was not able to crack, I guess, the top two lines. And, you know, we've heard it lately with regard to the Big Ten legislation and, you know, these players that they say, you know, want to have an opportunity to be able to, to put up some points and, 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 you know, improve their draft position, improve their, their standing in the eyes of the, of the pro scouts and so on. Is that a big reason why A.J. Greer left BU and went to the Quebec League? I think it's probably part of it. I know earlier this week there were some reports he's drafting the second around by Colorado. There were some reports this week that Colorado said they, they didn't know what, he, what was going on. I don't buy it. I mean, you, you have a second round pick. A, a guy you drafted in the second round, you don't know where he's going to play? No. Do you think they wanted him to get top two line minutes? I, I think that's probably part of it. Also, Patrick Waugh has connections in the, Q, in the Quebec Major Junior League. I think he owned a team in the, in the Quebec League at one point. I know he was coaching up there. Uh, so there's some connections there, I'm sure. Uh, that, that, I'm sure, was part of it. And, uh, I think, actually, ironically, I think BU uh, committed a 20-year or 21-year-old player playing in the North American League to come in next semester. He's going to come in right away because with Nick Roberto suspended, and it doesn't look like he's going to come back, and A.J. Greer leaving, and some other guys that they've had, uh, they, they, didn't, they needed bodies. They, they were short and forward, so they brought in, they brought in a player that actually uh, they committed this morning, to come, uh, the second semester. And, and that ironically, too, you know, BU considered or believed to be one of the 11 schools that was against, or, or you know, rather, you know, wanted to have that, that legislation changed to, to lower that age limit of the, the, the players coming in, but, uh, you know, they would look at something like this, this, what happened with A.J. Greer and some of the other guys they've lost recently. They would look at that and say, hey, look, this is why we need to overcommit players, or this is why we need to have the ability to, to you know, have more guys, I guess, in the pipeline. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I actually, I believe that BU is one of the teams that voted yes originally, too. And I guess they were, but they, then they changed their vote uh, before the, the votes were calculated, from what I'm told. Uh, you know, it's... It's a tough situation. I can certainly see both sides of it. There's teams that need to over-recruit a little bit in order to replace guys that you're going to have signed. Uh, I don't think, I mean, if, if this legislation was put in place to 
and stop over-recruiting and stop stockpiling the players, I just don't think it's going to work. I, I think teams are still going to stockpile, but it's going to stockpile for one year or less. I, I think if you really want to make changes to recruiting to help older recruiting older players and recruiting of younger players, you've got to open up the NLI earlier. I think you've got to keep the period open. I don't know why they have national letter of intent signing periods to begin with. I don't know why you can't just say, uh, you know, make it real simple. You can't offer a kid till he's a junior in high school. Fall of junior year, you can offer him. The NLI period opens fall of junior year. So as soon as you offer a kid, you can sign him, take verbal commitments right out of it, put on paper when the kid's going to enroll, and get everything signed and sealed. And, and that, that to me, solves everything. I, I'm just not sure that this solves much. I'll tell you what else. The schools that are stockpiling are stockpiling because they can. You know, if you're a VU, then, yeah. you know, they're able to have those players that say, yeah, sure, sure, I'm, I'm willing to, to kind of sit back and wait and see if you need me or not. So, you know, the fact that, that, that you know, I mean, that, that's going to continue, I think that uh, ultimately the, the best thing would be don't change anything, but we'll see what happens. And we've seen the result of it at VU. I mean, look at some of the guys that they've had leave. A.J. Greer leaves in the middle of the year. Yeah. That, that was probably on his own doing. J.J. McKinnish leaves over the summer from the Ontario League. There was some rumor going around there that maybe that had something to do with, you know, BU asking him to go back to juniors. Uh, we've seen, how many recruits has BU I mean, use a B, not to, to pile on BU here, but they're just the prime example right now because we've seen the turnover there with their program. It's happening in a lot of places, but I think there's a lot. There's no easy way to fix it. I just don't think that this solution the Big Ten has come up with fixes much. All right, Mike, thanks a lot. We do have to let you go. Uh, Merry Christmas. Uh, hopefully we'll see you again after the holiday. Yes, Merry Christmas to you too. Thanks. All right, so Mike McMahon, check out his work at themacreport.com. Uh, also, uh, he does work, of course, with the Merrimack Coaches Show that takes place normally on Tuesdays, although I think they're going to go on hiatus this week. But uh, the Eagle Tribune as well and College Hockey News. So Mike McMahon has been our guest. We wish everybody a Merry Christmas. And, uh, John and I are back with more right after this. The score after two is the Canisius 1, Merrimack nothing back after this. This is Warrior Hockey.